Hello. Today's episode is a conversation with Danny Mulligan, who is a composer, guitarist, vocalist, musician, and PhD student in clinical psychology at Wayne State University. Danny's music project is called Exodus to Infinity, which just put out a new album called Archetype Asylum, which everybody should go and listen to right now. It is one of the few albums that has really excited me in the last couple years, and I cannot recommend it enough. In our conversation, Danny and I talk about what it was like to create this album, composing in general, the relationship between music and other types of academics, and even get into some psychology territory. But before we get to that, please remember to like, leave a comment, and subscribe. And if you would like to consider supporting my content generally, please consider visiting my Patreon page. Welcome to Music in Mind, Music in Mind, with Anthony Coffey. Hello. Hey, everybody. This is Danny Mulligan. He's a composer, guitarist, and uh, also a PhD candidate in clinical psychology at the moment. And he just came out with an album called Archetype Asylum, which we talked about a little bit before the podcast, but I have to say is one of the most exciting pieces of music I've heard lately. And uh, I've been like really bummed out about a lot of music. I felt really bored by it, by not hearing any new music that I like. And listening to this album has just like excited me and it amps me up and I want to put it on in my car. And I'm happy that it's not put out by a major studio and that there's a friend of mine who is making exciting music. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, that's, uh, I'm really flattered to hear that. And uh, I feel the same way about it being hard to find music that excites you. Yeah. Um, and also, yeah, I'm getting more and more into just listening to, well, I mean, I don't have that much time as, as, as much as I used to to listen to music, you know? Mm. And uh, I more and more want to listen to music of people that I know. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I feel really, the same way. Yeah. I, uh, um, I make a point, especially when I'm like reading or studying or working, working on programming or composing or something. Well, probably not while composing, but with other things to be putting on music from people I know specifically and then trying to use that as the starting point to branch out. And then like, who are people they know who make music and hmm. uh, having more of the like networking from me rather than uh, like what did Universal put out this year? Right. Yeah. Yeah, there should be some, um, I mean, I guess that kind of exists on some, you know, um, Uh websites or social networks, but a way to have that a little bit more organized of uh, just like, if you could filter and just only see um, artists that you know, and Uh the artists that they know that are are indie artists or something (laughs) like that. I don't know. Like a a Facebook for, for music. Yeah. You have to be music so, friends with them or something. <laughs> yeah. So who you do you to... listen to? Um, recently I, well, okay. So actually, not, I don't. I don't listen to music that often. Uh-huh. Um, in the last couple of years, I'll be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, recently I've been getting back into um some Frank Zappa. That's been like a nice a huge influence. Um, Chick Corea, who just uh, yeah. passed away. Mm-hmm. Um been listening to him recently um what was the there's a big one uh that i kind of discovered recently um 
it'll it'll come to me. Somebody <laughs> asked me this recently, and I just completely blanked, and I couldn't think yeah, of anything. It's, that I've it's okay. To. I I know what you mean about not listening to music. I I have this suspicion that like nobody's really listening to music, or not not nobody actually, but it's it's really died down in in the culture. And I've I've posted a few times on Facebook, like kind of like mining my friends who's listening to what, and uh, I get lots of answers, but. Um, I suspect that there's a lot of dishonesty in those answers, and I feel like the problem with posing a question on Facebook, like, what are you listening to, is everybody wants to show off how cool the music they know is. Right. <laughs> um, which is not really what I'm looking for. Uh, I want to know, like, honestly, who is listening to music and excited about it? Because, like, growing up, I listened to music all the time, and, like, up until probably grad school for me, it was, like, a huge part of my life all the time, and then it just pretty sharply took a drop off totally yeah um a huge part of it for me was in the car i feel like yep. i spent more time in the car yep. um growing up and in high school and and then yeah just like having a walkman you know yep. or, or ipod yeah like i don't have an ipod now um nope. me neither walking around uh campus things like mm -hmm. that yeah it was just i was just pumping i used to go to bed i used to fall asleep listening to music all the yep, time same Yep. I can't imagine doing that now. It would just keep me awake, but it probably did, and I just didn't even know it, you know? Yeah. Um, it, random tangent, but have you ever had the experience where you, uh, you're listening, and then you fall asleep, and then you wake up, and you're, like, halfway in a dream state, and the music sounds like you can't believe how good it sounds, uh -huh. and it's, like, a normal segment of the music you've probably heard before, but... It's like you're in a different world, and uh, I've had that a couple times with like Jimi Hendrix solos. Uh -huh. And now, like when I go back and I listen, I get this feeling of like, oh yeah, I remember that one oh, time. Oh, that's amazing because you connect it to that memory. Wow. Yeah. I don't have that. I I sometimes dream music that is like the best music I've ever heard in my life, and then I wake up and I try and remember it. And even if I can kind of remember it, it sort of sucks. <laughs> but like, what I love about it is like in the dream, I can just define it as the best music ever and therefore it feels like the best music ever yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> like uh, uh, just like that idea that it's just like within the dream it's defined as that good so no matter what it is it'll sound amazing right yeah like i wonder how much you're actually even like there's sound as part of your phenomenology when you're dreaming or it's just like I am hearing really good music, but you're not actually even hearing it in your dream. Like, uh, right. how, how do you remember it? Like, do you actually remember? Sometimes some there, there's and... one particular case. I, I don't know. It was so, it was so cheesy. I had this song. I, I must've been like 19 or something. And I dreamed this song. It was like, and I remember waking up and being like, oh my God, that was like the most amazing song I've ever, like the melody's perfect, everything about it. And I like wrote out what I remembered and it was like, oh, this is like the lamest melody of all time. <laughs> yeah but i did like i kind of remembered a little bit of it or i thought i did i i guess you can't really confirm if a memory of a dream is correct but right <laughs> yeah that's the problem uh yeah i um it, it kind of reminds me of uh like if you're smoking weed or just doing right. other drugs and and you uh have an idea or you play something <laughs> yep. and it has the same sort of effect where in the moment it, it sounds incredible um and usually actually i, I <laughs> so much but, especially smoking weed and you're like fuck yeah right or like mushrooms is the same kind of thing yeah I, I haven't done that i haven't done music uh with mushrooms but uh, -huh. uh but uh yeah 
I I don't know about you, but I found that like it, it's not a good idea. Like it sounds usually bad because it's like sloppy yep. and um, imprecise. Like there's error, like uh, sour notes and things. But sometimes the like overall idea is actually pretty novel and pretty mm-hmm. like it could be shaped into something that yep, yep. is good well um, there there's some people who like the process of you start uh sort of like weed to get the process started then sober for editing and then weed for like re-editing oh wow they have it chiseled down to like a three-step process yep yep i didn't know that that's that makes sense to me yeah well, how do you feel about playing like drunk or high or that kind of thing I don't do too much of it. Um, right. When I was in Trap Saturn, um, I would play like, I played bass mainly. And uh, I think, therefore, it felt a little bit more natural to like have a buzz, um, right. have a couple beers. Yep. Um, and just, you know, playing the bass line. Um, but I, I think that probably overall, I would not do it, not get too yep. intoxicated because I, I think I would just get sloppy and um yeah i've never been i mean i've never really experimented with it i I bet you i could maybe get into some headspace where i'd like lose my mind and be like (laughs) Jimi hendrix and like you know have a a moment like that but it hasn't really ever happened to me yet i think there's different kinds of performances too like um before the pandemic i i was working a lot in like the pit orchestra scene in la and like playing musical theater shows and stuff like that Mm. And um, especially like on two show days, some of us would go out and uh, th- there there was one guy in particular and he'd be like, how many beers can I have between shows? Like if we have two hours, can I get through like six or eight beers or something? <laughs> but he was amazing. I mean, he would still nail it every time on the drums. And if I had like two, I'm starting to slip. And at three, like I'm... I'm it's a horrible experience in the pit because I'm sitting there and I'm making mistakes and like, I can't even stop. (laughs) Like I can't not make mistakes. And I'm like, all right, focus, focus. And it's like, it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's the thing. I, you know, like the, the muscle, I don't know. There's different types of players. Some people are really good at having muscle memory and playing something the exact same every time. Like once they've got it, they got it. They're in the pocket with it or whatever. I've never been like that. It's like every single time I play, it's a little bit different. And um, I even find myself like I have an urge to like, I'm bored. I I, like want, I'll just make something different because it just occurs to me in that moment. Like I want to try something new. Uh It's not even like a choice almost. It just happens. Like I want to mess with this. Um, And so, yeah, I think because of that, if I get, if I had, yeah, even three beers, I would be. (laughs) doing that but it would be like bad choices like <laughs> let's make this one this note flat but no that's that's a terrible choice in that oh moment. my god that's you just get fired for that yeah oh man those uh i i feel like the the experience of like the rock band i i feel like it lends itself more to to uh like inebriation because sometimes that sloppiness can be good and that kind of like making bad choices can be good in a sense right versus yeah. like a, a a show that there's five thousand people there who have all paid sixty dollars to a hundred dollars a ticket right <laughs> there's the there's not a whole lot of room for like oh you made that note flat did you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, that just gave me an idea though of like a, a show where part of the show is uh that there's like this huge incident where somebody is like drunk in the pit and then they like uh have like a fit and they like smash their guitar and like the show stops <laughs> and that's then part of like the plot yep. somehow <laughs> that would be i would like to see that that's, that's pretty good uh so so your new album um archetype asylum right yep that uh the title first of all is is it like a jungian thing it is yeah okay yeah. cool yeah um i've ha- i i didn't know that it was like not as well known i mean i think people our age probably know archetype like uh, right. just from like literature or just it's in like tv shows and stuff but yeah i had enough people that were like oh what is that that i was sort of surprised um by that but yeah i was getting really into jungian psychology mm-hmm. and just like reading his original texts before i started grad school um and yeah, I wasn't really thinking like, oh, I'm going to write a concept album based upon Jungian psychology, but I just kind of found myself writing right. songs that were like that. Like there was one, like Shadow Self is explicitly, mm-hmm. I had that idea going into it, but then other ones, I realized retrospectively, oh, that maps onto this archetype, that, and then <laughs> it, I just realized, oh, actually every song maps onto a different archetype and it kind of just worked out even when i didn't plan it so okay um yeah that's really interesting um the composition also of it is is fascinating um i feel like you and i had an interesting experience in undergrad where we met at university of wisconsin-madison for anybody who doesn't know yes (laughs) um well because we were both composition majors but we were both also in the classical guitar studio Yep. So yeah. we kind of had this 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 funny matching up thing. Um, I remember that. I, I remember when I, I uh, first showed up to the the classical guitar studio. Right. And yeah, and I met you, and you're like, "Oh, you're in composition." Yeah, me too. And uh, yeah, I didn't know what to think because I I was a complete <laughs> <laughs> this asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, not in, in that way. But uh, going into the classical uh, guitar uh, master class or whatever. Because I was completely new to that world. Like, I was a complete noob going in. Um, but guitar players are just... We just get along. I don't, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's true. I, uh, but it, it's interesting because uh, you and I sort of share that background. And I feel like we also have similar tastes in music outside of uh, sort of classical or academic music. Um slightly different i mean i think i think it diverges a little bit i feel I, I i remember that you were like very into dream theater yeah and i feel like i was very into tool and i feel like we appreciated the other but didn't listen quite as much yeah uh, across that but um but in your new album uh, i'm just wondering the relationship of of the composition and like working with steven Dembski and all that because some of the um some of the tracks especially like midway through have uh, a lot of sort of compositional chops, I would say, uh, in terms of notes on paperwork, even. Mm. Or at least related to it, maybe. Right. Yeah. um, I feel the same way. Um, Also, Jimi Hendrix, I think... weren't, Weren't you a big Hendrix guy like when you first started playing guitar yeah and... i have a i have a complicated relationship with Jimi hendrix i uh oh. 
I, I, I used to ask this question in my podcast at the end as like a fun question. Like, who do you think is an important person in the history of music? Like, if you were going to teach a rock history class, you would definitely teach them, but you don't really like their music. And you chose Jimmy Hendrix. And for me, Jimmy Hendrix is a little bit that. And it isn't that I don't like his playing. I don't feel like a lot of the songwriting is there for me. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I, I've heard that um, critique before as well, and um, I, I get that for sure. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, th- I, th- I think I tried to like go back to my roots in a sense with this. I guess, uh-huh. oh, here, this is, we talked about this way back in the day that uh-huh. like started out i didn't listen to classical music at all growing up i mean i played right. in band and in orchestra and so i got exposed through mm-hmm. that um but yeah i was raised on basically i started with like the beatles and then like punk and then classic rock and blues and then progressive rock progressive metal yeah and uh and then into that world and like i wanted to make it in that like academic uh right. contemporary composition world and in that situation, it was like, you cannot write tonal music. Like, <laughs> tonal music is objectively tonal inferior. Tonal music for losers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You'll be laughed out. They'll all hate you. Um, <laughs> They'll all hate you. Uh, but, like, more or less, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but those messages were, were said in a right. similar way. Yep. Um, and so then I tried to get into that, and I did. Like, some mm-hmm. of the, you know, Stravinsky... Leo Brower, the um, guitar composer and player. Super, I loved his stuff. I still do. Mm -hmm. Um, Debussy, Ravel, French Impressionist guys, um, Schoenberg, all that stuff. And so, yeah, what Dembski taught us, um, serial composition. Stephen Dembski, by the way. Everybody Everybody should read his paper on circles. Right. Everybody should know his stuff, I think. He he's had such a huge impact on me. Yeah, me too. We should we should have a Dembski appreciation <laughs> moment right now. Yeah, he um, I'm writing this uh, this like essay that I'm gonna send out to people that bought the deluxe version, and in part of it I was like uh-huh. reflecting on music school and kind of what I'm getting through right now. Um, and uh, mentioned how Dembski was like the ray of light in a hall of darkness. <laughs> like, he he made everything I mean, that's, worthwhile. That's quite a statement. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm joking. He made but everything like, worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. I was going to kill myself until I met that guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's, but yeah, it's not that far off. He really, he, uh, he was so easy to work with. He was, he had a great sense of humor. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And amazing composer. And yeah, his circles idea, that paper, changed the way I think about music. Uh, yep, fundamentally same. In a, yeah i still actually a lot of my work now is very based on that i i love the fact that he is talking about the power of the tonal system and where what is unique about it and partially why it's been so strong that does not relate to the harmonic series and all that mumbo jumbo about like the naturalism of tonality or something silly like that and I don't know right. how you feel about that. Uh, I'm, I'm making strong statements, but um. right. I feel oh, oh, I feel in between. But I, I want yeah. You were gonna say something else. Um, but just the applying a lot of the lessons you can learn from tonality 
in non-traditional pitch worlds so that you can mm -hmm. develop a sense of function and motion. And, and that being like the, the weakness of the 12 tone composers mm -hmm. is there isn't, it's very difficult to develop motion through harmony. Yeah. Because everything's equal. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have like that, that same sense of, um, scale degrees, having a, a sound and having a function, yep. functional relationship to other scale degrees. Um, yeah, that, that actually one of the, so get to back to your original question, although uh -huh. there's like a bunch in there that I, I wanted to talk about too, but, um, I, I did use a scale that I came up with, I think during my time with Dembski in, mm -hmm. um, King Other in the breakdown, um, that was used, like made, I made it using the circles method. I actually don't remember cool. exactly, you know, if I had to do it right now, I wouldn't, I could probably figure it out, but it's like, yeah. it's not in here right yeah. now, but, uh, yeah. So a lot of those, those moments I tried to like basically infuse, I love the thing I love about like post-tonal music or like mm -hmm. concert music, however you want to call it is, is the harmony. Yeah. Um, I do like it within the tonal context, um, uh -huh. just cause I was raised that way. And most right. people just have that as their like Definitely. worldview. It's hard to get outside <laughs> of that. You My worldview is tonal. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, you know, except for uh, like gestures like in, in horror movies or things like mm -hmm. that where the atonality has like a, a function in a, a yep. plot. But yep. um, yeah, so I guess I tried to sprinkle in the, that some like advanced harmony in there. Uh -huh. um, and then also I think Dembski did help with like structuring the composition and having mm -hmm. like motivic development and um, parallelisms at like different levels, if that makes sense. Um, yes. So yeah. And and then applying that to like the progressive rock, like medium. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, I think it's another thing about the writing on your album is the forms of a lot of the tracks are, are more complex than just a basic like, verse pre-chorus chorus even even if that is the general structure the way that you're moving in between them and relating them to each other i think gives it a very unified and a much more expansive feel thanks like the yeah. tracks feel very expansive even mm. even in a contained form that's cool i i yeah i didn't think about it that way but yeah i i'm kind of i became allergic to like the like pop song structures um, and actually, I, <laughs> I never really was into them in a way when, ever since I started writing music, I, I just, cause I, I get like, I always want to be switching to something new. Yeah. So, um, I didn't, again, I didn't like sit down. This is the things like in music school, you like sit down and you have a conceptual model for your piece and then you like write it or that was part of yep. what we were taught to do. But this was all like intuitive for me. So I didn't, I didn't have that, but I think it was like in the background Mm -hmm. working um but yeah I, I i tend to like music that has just kind of like its own form like there are some verse chorus or bridge like mm -hmm. functions but um it still kind of has the through composed feel right where um it's just well, morphing 
Especially how, especially how it morphs, because like maybe it has something like a verse and a chorus, and maybe it even repeats, and then you add like a sample in there, and so the music changes, and then out of the sample is a solo, and so it, it, even though it's referencing itself through its harmony and stuff like that, it's still continually changing. Yeah, yeah, that's that's kind of what I want for music is, um, I don't know, like a, a journey. Um, and where you, where things happen where it's it's not expected, um, right. like at the beginning of the song, you would not think, oh, I know it's going to go in this direction. Right. Um, the other day, I was actually I was listening to, um, I was trying to go and like figure out one of my favorite songs mm-hmm. of all time, and uh, What's I know the song? The f- so my favorite of all time is Octavarium by Dream Theater. Okay. Um, yeah. Is how that, about you? That- Mm. Maybe Lateralis by Tool. I think you sh- I think you introduced me to that. That's the Fibonacci one? Yeah. Where the syllables are the Fibonacci series? I don't know if I knew that part. Yeah, the 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 lyrics are are set up syllabically in a Fibonacci series. So it's 1 1 1 2 1 2 3 1 2 3 4 5 Oh wow! Uh, I love it because <laughs> the singer thinks mind. it's so stupid. <laughs> He's like, it's so blatant and dumb, and just slapped on there. But I think it actually works really, really well. Anyway, so what? So your your favorite song? Is, is that the one you were trying to work on? Um, no. So Octavarium is my favorite, and it and it is like that. Um, uh-huh. so I think that yeah, the whole album kind of has that flavor. But what I was gonna say is, uh, Layla. That was the first song when I was like in middle school. Yeah. Uh, I well first just like the riff that I was before mm-hmm. I got into classic rock and I was like, yeah. oh, this is the best thing I've ever heard. Um, it's great. Yeah, I still I still love it. And then I remember like hearing when the piano comes in at the end, it just completely switches, yeah, um, chords and tempo and feel, and I just I just loved it. I became and I then I like came to appreciate the ending as my favorite part and not mm-hmm. like the badass riff at the beginning. And so I think that impacted me. Like I didn't put it together until a couple weeks ago, but it's like, oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to do is like that moment where there's this big expansive shift and mm-hmm. it gives you this like feeling. I, I don't know. Um, it gives me chills when I listen, when I'm like listening to um, yeah, Layla or Octavarium certain moments when it opens up and changes. Um, yeah the structure yeah it it's interesting the idea that it's right at the end too it's like a fade out and everything changes right yeah and it's and it's like another three minutes or something like right that. yeah yeah it's uh i can't think of the beatles song that does that too um right at the very end the whole song has happened basically the song is over they're doing a fade out they change keys and they start singing it in canon Mm. just for the fade out for like 10 <laughs> seconds of music maybe <laughs> and it's all this work it's just like all this musical work for that yeah and like what does that mean what what are you doing that's so cool yeah i don't know which i can't think of which one you're talking about either but, i know um, it's, it's like right there i keep thinking eight days a week it's not eight days a week but i was listening to that the other day yeah 
I can't. I, I don't know. I, I'll think of it at some point. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll like put a little note at the bottom of this, this section of the Oh, yeah. The podcast I love so when that, videos do that. Yeah. Yeah. Normally it's like for mistakes and, and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did that. I did that on one too. I got the date of something wrong, like way, mm. way wrong. So I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. So the so you 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 have sort of the 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 Dembski and the 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 composerly side coming into it. You have your history and your love of progressive metal and rock and and guitar music obviously. And then there's the Zappa side cuz I feel like the album also has this like it knows that some of it is silly. Yeah, I'm glad and that I, you I love it. Like <laughs> It's like it's a little bit like goofy and nerdy and dorky and silly and then it like it knows and it's saying like oh I know this is like goofy and let's be goofy. Okay, I, yes. I'm so Anthony, I'm so happy <laughs> that you know that that's what I was doing cuz I was I was nervous that uh people wouldn't pick up on that. And they're like, uh-huh. "Oh, he he thinks he's serious." Like <laughs> Like that's this is really I mean awkward. there is seriousness he... to it. Yeah. There's there's craft. There's very serious craft, but then there's also the fun. Yeah. Let's have yeah. fun. Let's be silly. Yeah. That's that's another thing that I, I kind of had a crystallizing moment where I realized, oh, like the humor that I like and just mm-hmm. a lot of things in life that I enjoy are like combining the highbrow and the lowbrow yeah. or just like being absurdist, but also like very genuine like within like 30 seconds for each other like right after each other right and going back and forth it's like really weird um my, i think i got it from my dad my dad does that too where like he has such dry sarcasm mm-hmm. but also speaks that way normally and it's like sometimes you cannot tell <laughs> yep. is he being completely serious or completely sarcastic it's uh i don't know it's a it's a funny feeling and i kind of i like that feeling when uh you like aren't sure if it's yep satire or like um what's the word um like self-consciously uh yep. putting something on uh like winking at you in a way yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean it, I, I feel like it's interesting because i think humor exists in that space sort of naturally because laughter you're not necessarily happy laughter isn't happy it's not scared it's like it's this weird thing as an emotion i mean maybe you've you've studied this a little bit in in your in your your phd research or i i don't know maybe you can speak on this but like feel, whatever that impulse is to laugh it it seems like it's related to emotions of sadness and happy and angry but it isn't really any of those yeah no i haven't studied it at all it's okay. actually that's like sorely missing in in psychology curriculum like it's interesting in, in therapy um I'm mainly training to be a clinical psychologist, so uh-huh. specializing in treatments, therapy, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's not really anybody talking about the role of humor and laughter Interesting. in terms of, you know, a serious scholar, at least that I've heard of. Um, right. But it's really, it is, I mean, other than like the Freudian idea of it being a like sophisticated defense mechanism, which right. Maybe. I, I do, I do buy into. Um if- I mean, because it, it seems like a little bit of like uh, related to a panic response or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it, I don't know. There's so many different ways that it can happen. Sometimes it's you you feel such a surge of emotion that you control yep. it by turning it into a joke. And like, yeah, so you avoid the panic and like the 
embarrassment or like social affront that would come from that and and turn it into a joke um right. or it's just like you're like i know that's a problem i know that's really fucked up but i don't want to go there right now yep i can't afford to go right there right now so i'm going to yep. turn it into like self-deprecating humor mm-hmm. or something yeah. deprecating something yeah yeah i mean i feel like the most powerful humor to me is something that is is both a joke and not a joke at the same time mm. like um Leonard Bernstein had a whole lecture on that with the Rite of Spring, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring, and how it's it's it itself is a joke, but it's also like a comment on the death of tonality and the death of like Western mu- the the lineage of Western music, and it's like it, it it is a joke and it's silly and it's awesome, but it's also not funny. It's like a very serious statement, and I don't know if that's what Stravinsky thought of it. He's just using it as an example of how how a dark how a joke can be the most serious thing you say right yeah wow i would love to to listen to that lecture uh-huh. that um yeah the right the right of spring is is maybe well like i already said octavarium is my favorite um but i think maybe it's the most impressive yeah um musical work that i've ever i mean it, it is it's awesome it's impressive but but he was pointing everything's wrong right the orchestration's all messed up Everything's in the mm. wrong instrument. Not everything, but right. Yeah, starting with the bassoon intro that's super high. C, right, right, uh, right. Yeah, but yeah. then, but then even further. I don't know if you remember when we looked at it in in orchestration at uh, at UW, but like the the high E flat clarinet was playing below the regular B flat clarinets, and like mm. just like goofy, goofy orchestration where like everybody is playing the wrong thing on their instrument. <laughs> Right, yeah, it's like, yeah, he's stretching everybody to their outer limits to right. get, I don't know if we tied it to, like, that primitive aesthetic that he's, you <laughs> yeah, know, going yeah. for. Yeah. Um, that, that tied in with the choreography of, um, yeah, what was that guy? That uh, French... Yes, yes, what was his name? Uh, Najinsky. Oh, yeah, good memory. He also did Prelude on the Afternoon, he did the choreography for Prelude on the Afternoon of a Font, too. Hmm. That was that was the big one where he was like making like masturbating gestures on stage and freaking everyone out. Okay, I missed that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 was like it, it was like all these people enjoyed making public scandals. I think. Yeah, <laughs> that. Okay, so there is an element of that in um, my music too, where part of what I'm trying to do sometimes is seeing if I can like slip a joke in. Uh-huh. Where like people, I think it is a joke, but then people take it seriously. But then also like the opposite thing, if it's like I'm serious, but they think it's a joke. I don't know why I like that. But... <laughs> which um, which do yeah. you like better? If if they think you're being serious, but you're joking, or that one? The opposite. Yeah. I think that's more fun. Yeah. <laughs> like it's a little like hurtful if you're being serious and people think you're joking. Yeah. That's a little harder to it's deal ex- with. It, it's, it's actually really hurtful. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like it at all. <laughs> but it's but it's amusing if you're joking it, yeah. and people think you're serious. Right. Yeah. If you like, okay, so it's it's almost like if it's planned, if I plan that I'm going to be serious and they're going to joke, then I can sort of laugh at it inside when it's happening. But it's right. when you're not trying to do that, when you're just like earnestly being <laughs> Like, earnest. guys, my <laughs> car is broken. And the, <laughs> 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 good yeah. one. <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. So uh, getting more into the lyrics then, so there's there's like the humor aspect. There also seems to be some some more like maybe social commentary in the lyrics. Um, the one talking about um, the shadow and capitalism and communism. Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty interesting. It's bold, and I like that it feels brave, especially given like how tense everybody is at the moment about their social and political beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I um. I like that. I'm. I think that one might be my favorite track. Um. Uh-huh. But one interesting that hap- thing that happened was. So I wrote that one in. 2014 15 oh wow okay um yeah so uh it was like one it was probably the first one i did i think i don't think i I didn't finish it then Mm -hmm. um but uh yeah so i had that soundbite um in there and then also at the end um having gabor mate reading the it's the last paragraph of the plague by albert camus oh wow uh, yeah. So, are you a Camus lover? Um. Yes. I don't think I can be like a. Okay. I'm not a true fan because I've only read, like, one and a half of his okay. works. But yeah, I like listen to lectures on his stuff and Wikipedia page. Like, get the summary. I, I think I, Camus amazing. I think underappreciated. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know who who is it? Michael Malice and, or or Jonathan Haidt, but um. I know Jonathan Haidt, yeah. They like just did a work. they did a podcast and um Michael Malice is super into Camus and then Jonathan Haidt was saying that he read it too late in life and so it mm. didn't have the impact. Um but I feel like I, I read it when I, I, I read um The Stranger and the Myth of Sisyphus when I was mm. like nineteen and that was like perfect. Yeah, it's a perfect yeah. time to internalize some of those ideas. Totally. Yeah. Like adolescence is confronting the myth of, of uh, right. sisyphus for sure yeah and yeah late adolescence young adulthood i mean yeah but it applies to all, all of life for yep. sure um sorry yeah. I, I it was a sidetrack i was just excited no, no. that it was camu yeah no i uh i'm excited too uh <laughs> <laughs> like there's so many different uh worlds we can go down but yeah so it was interesting because the rap in that one, the, the first part, uh-huh. um, and then like the capitalism, communism uh, dichotomy mapping onto like the shadow, right. um, all that was like before Trump became president um, uh-huh. in 2016. And then also the Camus thing was before the plague. Um, right. I, I mean, sorry, before COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, the plague reading fine. was before COVID-19. <laughs> I, think, I think we all got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, so I, I don't know like what that was. If just, you know, you could feel that these things were, were coming just sometimes I think that the, uh, like ideas that I have or like currents that I pick up up on are just like the social media algorithms, like people that love YouTube, like me just get like, if you're a nerdy, uh, like 30 or 20 something, musician white guy like you get certain like um content curated to you and then you just confront these ideas and you but um yeah so 
going back to the shadow, I guess, or how did <laughs> I'm I'm lost? How did how did we get to this topic? What were you? Oh, asking I was about? just I was I was talking about the con confronting social issues, oh. sort of so explicitly like that in in your music. Uh, I think has a lot of bravery to it, it, it or it's it's very bold and it's striking. It was just oh. something I liked. Oh yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so for for that one, it just kind of worked out because it's like the shadow concept is is basically um, the idea that so you have your ego and that's what you identify as, right. um, and then you have your persona and that's like the mask that you put on to get along in social groups and you can think of like the shadow is what is the shadow that's cast by the persona so it's basically mm -hmm. like everything that is inside you that has been like shamed repressed uh -huh. things that where you're like oh kids don't do that that's bad that's a bad you're a bad boy for doing that you right. get punished you get sent to your room yep. the teacher yells at you your friends make fun at you when you say yep. these things or it's your religion says it's immoral to embrace these things so yep. like aggressiveness is is usually part of it um unless you're like a naturally very aggressive person then gentleness yep. is in the shadow uh -huh. so it's just like sort of the the opposite characteristics of what you present to the world uh -huh. that are still you know part of you and you've sort of disavowed them and so for me it was um that song was sort of about basically just like a, a greedy capitalist or a Trump-like figure, just people uh -huh. that are uh, very aggressive and selfish and exploitative yep. and take advantage of like the nicest people, mm -hmm. people that are like very pure of heart and trusting yeah. and um, don't look out for themselves. And they're like, oh, great. That's a perfect opportunity for, for me to like exploit them take their shit uh yeah. hurt them mm -hmm. and not feel guilt about it and like that just enrages me <laughs> right yeah. um and so yeah that was basically the shadow that i was confronting and sort of it's sort of mapped on well then i thought like to the capitalist mi mindset versus a communist mindset right and that like that is something that's on a lot of people's minds and there's a way in which uh you 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 kind of become a lot less intelligent or at least like articulate when you're you haven't integrated the shadow because you whatever hmm. the opposite side says you misinterpret it systematically because you're so angry at them you're so you see that like they're actually similar to you in some ways they have right. these characteristics that you hate about yourself you don't show them but they show them and you're mm -hmm. like how dare you show that part of yourself that's a disgusting yep. part mm -hmm. and it's like oh that's actually in you not yep. to the same extent necessarily but and um so then like the, the sort of the lesson of that song is like if you're a person that is generally like unassuming or nice uh not assertive or not aggressive or whatever mm -hmm. and you have that sort of um resentment or just anger towards people that are that way you the, like the solution is to take that part of your personality back um and that like you need to actually be so to, to like resist trump and to resist capitalism right. you have to be <laughs> aggressive you have to be able to like basically to be a good person you have to hurt people 
Right. And it's 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 really painful. Yeah. Uh, at least for, for me to, because uh, just I don't know. I don't know about you, but like f- feeling, just making people feel uncomfortable, even if it's like they, even if they said something that was hurtful to somebody else, just me calling them out on that, or just like having a, not in like a, a call out culture kind of way, but just right. even having conversation and confronting them about that, even in a gentle way, right, is painful to me because I know that they're like confronted with their embarrassment or yeah. like they fucked up you know and you're calling that to their attention it just i don't like it at all i hate that but you, I'm you hate doing it you mean doing it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i hate it too uh i some people seem to enjoy it more than other people um right <laughs> yeah i i don't i don't like making people feel bad or feel uncomfortable um i think i'm actually quite bad at, at that um yeah i i was thinking about this I feel like I've I've become worse at it over time too. Um, hmm. I feel like when I was in high school and early in college, I was I was happy to argue with people because I was very I it felt easy for me to exist in the idea space and to separate an argument from the personal. And hmm. like I remember, there there were a couple composers uh, in, in our undergrad who I who I argued a lot with. Um, uh, one of them did not go very well, and the other one, uh, Joe, Joe Diedrich, and I always had like a very healthy, I would say, uh, like conversation setup where we'd argue about like libertarianism and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but late, like lately, I have felt much less comfortable being able to express myself and argue and i think that that has also made me worse at what you're talking about uh about being able to uh discuss somebody else's issues with them or like bring up a problem or something like that yeah i i relate to that a lot um yeah it is really easy to to exist in that like the realm of abstraction and um and I think that like this kind of gets to the the shadow idea as well, or at least like the idea of of integrating the opposite opposites, which right. is like what Jungian psychology is all about, is that either one in the extreme. I mean, this sounds like I don't know, cli- really cliche, but it's just true. Like either one in the extreme is is not good. It's not effective. Right. So you can be like a so be a Buddhist, s- the middle way. Exactly. Yeah. Right um yeah buddhism taoism that stuff like Jung was all about that um yeah but yeah um sorry i i didn't mean to throw you off there oh no no i'm just like i'm trying to to channel the feelings that I'm, i'm having in this moment and i guess what i'm thinking is I think a lot of people overestimate how much of an impact you can have by just engaging in argumentation. Yeah. I think a lot of the times it's about sparring. It's almost like two bucks in the woods sparring yeah. and then mm-hmm. you get it out of your system and you don't really change. Like yeah. um sometimes like it sounds like maybe you and Joe like have a healthy way where there's like mutual respect and maybe on some points you do change your mind, but I think a lot of the yeah. times the arguments I, I, are. Like, I have a lot with him. I think he's convinced me of many, many things. But yes, mm, yeah. that's great. Yeah, but a lot of times it's um, 
you know, it doesn't change the person's mind whatsoever. It makes me right. think of this um, quote Gabor Mate talks about a lot. Um, Only in the presence of compassion will people allow themselves to see the truth. Uh-huh. And I think that's, that's right. And so, yeah, I don't know. There's just like a lot of uh, polarization and a lot of demonization of the other. And um, when you have that, you like, it's like, it's very difficult to get in that space where you can really emotionally resonate with someone and let them feel safe enough with you yep. to actually like emotionally connect with what you're saying while also seeing the sense of your argument and you mm -hmm. blend the two together to get like an actual change in their behavior. But it has to come with a change in your behavior too. Of course. Because otherwise it's paternalism. It's it's condescending. It's yep. power. Yep. Um, so, yeah. I, I was talking with another friend of mine who, who did a podcast a couple of months ago, Molly, Molly Jones. And I was saying like she and I probably have like very different political opinions. But I... I I have like compassion and respect and love for her as a friend and so that I I'm not going to think that even if she thinks something that I don't agree with I don't think that she wants the world to be terrible and I don't think that she's trying to hurt people and so I'm happy to like engage in discourse and say like I don't agree with that because of this and I'm happy for her to say that about me and I'm actually interested in what she has to say towards me about that kind of thing but i think it's what you're saying about in order to to engage like that there has to be compassion yeah and it yeah, has exactly. to exist in both directions for sure mm -hmm. or else it won't work at all right so what what do you see compassion as being i have this problem and i don't i, I i've always had this problem with words yeah. like i very I like both don't care at all what words mean, and you could use any sound to mean anything, and I don't give a shit. But also, I get very confused about what people like the difference between things are. And like, yeah, like I've been struggling lately with the difference between a feeling and an emotion, or a thought and a feeling. Like, I don't actually know if there's any, like, if a thought and a feeling are different things. They seem to be like tumbling in a, in a washing machine and like informing and bumping into each other. But I don't know totally. if they're distinct. And so like uh, compassion, empathy, empathy, sympathy, all these ideas, they don't really seem super different. And people use them differently. But I don't, I don't have like a pin down what compassion means. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I feel the same way. I kind of think that it's like everybody has their own dictionary. Right. It's like you're using the same words, but then what is like, that's the signifier, but the signified is like different for each yep. person. It's like, yeah, every time you've ever heard that usage, I mean, it's always in context, you know, like yeah. the, the word compassion is always in context. And so it gets its meaning from that. So it's like you think about every time you've ever heard somebody say compassion and it has a slightly different like meaning in each one. Mm -hmm. And then you think of them all together and it's like, oh, that's your meaning. That's how you define compassion. Right. And it's not exactly what you mean at all, but it's close enough to like kind right. of work. It's um, like a, a just it's uh, it's meaning is like a distributed network or something. It's yeah, the, it, it's the emergent meaning that comes out of each node or something. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like a complex systems view of meaning or something. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I want to learn more about that. But um, so, yeah, compassion. Um, it's interesting because, yeah, in my in grad school, you know, I haven't read 
anything that has defined compassion. Yeah. I mean, we do, you know, a good amount of stuff defining emotions and thoughts and distinguishing right. them. But I guess I would say compassion is, it's really, um, I think it's maybe two things. It's seeing the person mm-hmm. for who they are. Uh, so not like imposing a, just being attuned to the present moment and viewing the person um, without sort of like a hidden agenda. So mm-hmm. you're just, you're really just listening to them and viewing them. And then secondly, you wish well for them yep. in, in, in their own terms, wish them mm-hmm. to, to be well and what that means to them. I think maybe that's compassion. Yeah. I think that's a, that is one of the better ways I've heard it laid out. I think uh I think it gets at some important pieces of it. Hmm. Yeah. That'd but, be that that'd be a good good clip or something. What's <laughs> what's compassion? Ask Danny. He's got it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I don't know if um other people what they say about it, but I liked what you said about thoughts and feelings and are they different uh-huh. um because yeah. So one thing in clinical psychology CBT cognitive behavioral yep. therapy yep. is like ascendant and it's like yeah, yeah. there's this term like evidence-based treatment mm-hmm. um as I, recommended that term by, really that like sends a flag up in my head every time I hear it but y- y- I'm curious what like what's um, uh here, here, keep going I, I keep derailing you I think no no that I mean that's okay I <laughs> I am interested what that flag is but yeah um it's basically a marketing term. Like, uh, so there, there is evidence supporting it, but there's also like a history of really misinterpreting, uh, what that evidence is. And like, also there's debates about what counts as evidence. Right. Right. But, um, anyway, so that's, I guess that's a whole rabbit hole, but basically the, the, like a fundamental premise of CBT is that you have cognitions, thoughts, and you have emotions. And those two are, distinct yeah um but i i do know that i don't know which cultures but i know that in other cultures in general there's more of a feeling that they are not distinct that they're woven together and i i happen to think that that is what they are like it's the one thing in therapy you might do sometimes is like if you ask somebody how do you feel about this thing um and they say like i don't know i feel like he betrayed me and then you Uh might be like well betrayal isn't a feeling so what was the emotion underneath that betrayal right um and so i started getting into the into that and doing that and then i realized like when it happens to me i kind of feel invalidated because i'm like no i mean yeah i I can say okay underneath that is like you know sadness and anger basically like the two things but betrayal is a very specific form it's like a description of what happened so you like the way you thought about the situation mm-hmm. that you trusted them and you, you were close to them and they did something to betray that trust and it was unexpected and then you felt hurt but you also feel mad at them at the same right. time or something like that and it's like that those thoughts and those feelings are all and like the way it bubbles up in your body as you're saying these things they're all tied together like you said um in the washing machine and so i think you can separate them out but you know it's just it's a choice whether or not you want to do that yeah and and i know that that conversation like i feel betrayed that's and that's not a feeling or something like that and i i feel like where i'm at with it is like there's emotions which i see as like 
these like colorful fogs and there's like the yellow you could be in that fog or the black or the red or whatever and that's like the fog you're in and then the feeling is like related to the tactile so like you feel hurt or you like think they're betraying you and like it that's it's all like very physical or something Mm -hmm. that's yeah yeah I, i like that i like that image it does feel like you're in it's almost like the aura idea, like the, the the mist, the fog, the aura that you feel like you're contending with when you feel a certain emotion. It's it's sort of like right. it feels like it's in the air. Um, yeah, in your field of consciousness. Yeah. So I just, I, I, I want to touch one more thing. I kind of want to go back to the tonality idea. Yeah. Um, and and it's a little bit based on the evidence based flag. Like, uh oh, that goes off in my head. <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm very sensitive to statements that feel like they're giving authority to things without explaining why it's deserved. Um, Like some terms that are going around a lot now are like, follow the science. And Hmm. like a (laughs) statement like that really bothers me, regardless of what the truth of anything is. Like, the idea of the science is a ridiculous idea to me. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And evidence-based, it makes it feel like they're saying, we're right, and this is the right thing to do, because the evidence, just like the science, says this. Right. And that, to me, is quite a claim that is very often not um, backed up as it needs to be. And Mm -hmm. I feel this with tonality as well, is there's lots of claims about what tonality is and where it comes from that are taking a very small piece of science that is true, or seems to be true, uh, I believe it, but discounting tons of other things. And they're saying, we're just following the science of uh, frequency relationships or something like that. Mm-hmm. like resonating bodies like because you have an octave and a fifth and because a major triad is outlined in the low partials therefore mm-hmm. tonality but tonality isn't a major triad or a fifth tonality is like a system of functions it's a very complex system and there's right. there's, uh, there's other intervals that are other pieces of the harmonic series and we don't tune to the harmonic series in a true sense. So there's all of these like ways that it's removed from that. And I think the statement of there's a major triad, therefore tonality is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I wonder if there, we can get further along with that. Cause I also think that there is something to it. Like, and I uh-huh. think you agree too, uh-huh. cause you're, you're acknowledging like the, yeah, that it, so there's something about the way that the overtone series, you know, has the the fifth and the third, and then the seventh, and right. eventually, like, well, then it gets weird with the, it's like the flat ninth or something. Well, right, because you you get C C G, C E G, and then fake B flat, so you don't even get, so you don't get the piano B flat. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's what, like, I feel like right there is where things start to diverge. Yeah. Also, that's a dominant seventh chord. 
so right. so is it a tonic? Are you hearing the tonic? Or are you always hearing the dominant? And then how is this relating to our system? Right. Yeah, because it, it seems like, yeah, at the beginning, it would make sense that, uh, okay, the, the first however many harmonics are outlining the triad, and, like, that would be the tonic. And then later on, so there's something about th that that makes sense to me, though, that, like, uh -huh. okay, now it's a dominant, that, like, as you get farther in the harmonic series, uh -huh. there's more notes. It's almost like you're moving up the scale or you're adding complexity or something. Yep. And now it has the function of a uh, a dominant uh, or a dominant fifth. Right. Um, I don't know what about that makes sense necessarily, uh -huh. but there seems like there's something kind of to that. Yep. Um, I agree. But the way you're talking about it now is is very personal, and it's you you get a sense. You're not saying, "Look, it's right there." The evidence says, <laughs> "Yeah, exactly." I am right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's... Like, it, you're allowing it to be fuzzy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, um... I mean, what else do you think would explain the um, dominance, the hegemony of the diatonic system? <laughs> uh, Western imperialism? I don't know. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that... Every culture has has a has a music of its own, and Western culture, like European culture, kind of like took over the whole world. And I mean, even little things like the our calendar, our clock, our twenty, like all of these these sort of structures have now been imposed over the entire world. So even even if you go to Indonesia or something. Um, they're still running on a 24-hour clock. They're still using a calendar just like we do. Um, and the, like, K-pop is all, not all, but very based on Western pop music. I feel like it's it's a cultural, a cultural export and, like, cultural dominance kind of a thing. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, like, also... I mean, so this is where my knowledge kind of runs out, but I I thought that, you know, before, well, yeah, I guess before um, colonialism and, and mm -hmm. like the, was it the gamelan um, mm -hmm. music? Right. Um, was that the one based on the pentatonic scale? Is it gamelan or? Uh, I mean, gamelan music has a pentatonic and a septatonic scale. They have two scales. Mm-hmm. Um, but neither, they don't map, they map roughly onto a pentatonic scale, but not exactly. Hmm. And I don't think it's based, I don't think they got it from, from like right. Bulgaria or something like that. Right. And that's what I'm saying is that, um, there's some core, ah, like if, it, you yeah, know, yeah, if, yeah. almost like, uh, this is like what Jung did with, um, like psychology, but do it with music instead, like study all the different cultures and then what's like the archetypes of music almost right. like the basic forms or like chomsky's um universal grammar right like a universal right. grammar of music i don't know what that is but i mean i uh, think octave equivalence is pretty common yeah i i don't think it's everywhere though um i think there's like it's difficult because there's so much cross-domain mapping and how we even talk about music 
Like the idea right. of up, up and down. Even that, like, that's already a huge, like, metaphorical layer that we've added. But how do we talk about it other than that? Right. Yeah. And it, it does have, I mean, so that kind of stuff, it does, I think, map onto um, our psychology and, and our nervous system. I can't explain it exactly in this moment, Uh but um, there is a general association of positive emotions with upness and negative emotions with downness. Yeah. Um, Feeling down, uh, depression, Sadness right. is associated with fatigue and being tired and actually laying down, mm-hmm. jumping for joy is, is literally going up. But mapping um, it onto like frequency, that's, that's pretty, I don't, I, I, I don't think it's universal. I think some cultures call what we call high notes, fast notes. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Wow. Um, oh, because the frequency is I mean, maybe, faster? I don't know. But, uh. Oh. I, I think there's there's different metaphors you can use, and mm-hmm. it's just so internal that down is low frequencies and high is high frequencies or something. Mm-hmm. But um, but you could also have different cultural relationships to those notes, and so like the notes at the bottom of the keyboard could be the ones that make you happy culturally, and those could be the high notes. I mean, you could flip it. Right. Yeah, and that's. Or that's you could sort of, call major chords high chords and minor chords low chords or something. <laughs> yeah. Jacob Collier has like an interesting oh, yeah, yeah, naming system that. related to that um, with the white keys and the black keys, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I can't remember yeah. what it is. But um, but yeah, this reminds me of a, um, a master class with Dembski one time. And uh, it was a summer class. Back to Dembski. Yeah, and we were talking about, like, radical relativism as a philosophy as applied to music, and and there was, like, one guy in the class, a grad student, I think he played violin, and he he didn't quite agree, and he was, to Uh him it was, like, inconceivable that this thing that he played um, that was, you know, very, like, a very, kind of a stereotypically sad violin melody, that Uh that could, like, mean, signify, or evoke happiness in somebody, um and Hmm. uh yeah i don't know i mean everything is is contextual right like so you can have um i think you can have the same musical gesture and and have any emotional response to it in the right right context but then the question is if you made all like the contexts equivalent so like okay i don't even know what i'm saying exactly now but the like it's it's role in the plot of uh-huh. a drama or like a social situation if everybody had the same understanding this is what the plot is and this is the social situation and the social dynamics and then this musical gesture happens and you didn't have any musical you never heard music before in your life and yeah. that's the first time you heard the low notes would you know would there be i don't know some sort of convergence on low being like low (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh i don't know i i don't even know how you would know (laughs) yeah i don't think you can know (laughs) i think it's i think it's the comfortability existing in the in the suppositional world i think relating it back to your album um 
I don't. Do you remember Daria Tinikova? The co- yeah, co- yeah, yeah. So she was great. Yeah, yeah. She's so, great. Yeah. Sure. I, I was talking with her uh, a couple months ago about like the purpose of art and the purpose of making music and in thinking about these suppositional worlds or these proposed worlds. Mm. Um, and so this violin uh, player, it, it seems like he's sort of uncomfortable existing in the maybe somebody else hears it a different way. Right. Um, which is, which is interesting. Like I, I would, I wonder why that even is like what does it pose a threat to him or something like that? Because to me, there's nothing lost in maybe somebody hears something some way. Yeah. Even if you don't know anybody who does, maybe somebody does. I, okay, this, this is going to sound like a stretch, but I, I completely agree with you that right. it is a threat. And it kind of relates to, to death anxiety to me. Right. Um, have you by chance listened to or read um, Ernest Becker? Mm-mm. Um, or heard of like terror management theory? No. Um, yeah, the basic idea is that like culture, the main like psychological function of culture is to make you a person, make you feel like a person of value in a world of meaning. And that basically defends against death anxiety and sort huh. of the existential dread and right. like the myth of all the problems yep. caused by myth myth of yep. sisyphus and nihilism and that it's all pointless and we're just apes on this rock and the universe is going to go cold and it's all for nothing and we're fucked like that <laughs> even that whole, saying it isn't it fun isn't it fun right? to say that <laughs> it feels good to say that yeah the the universe is is silent to the the what is it the plea the the probing of man or something like that i don't know that one but i anyway i, I like it um yeah, and so um, then the idea is sort of when you encounter, you're indoctrinated into this culture and it gives you your sense of purpose and meaning and value and therefore like guidance how to navigate in the world. And you encounter a different culture, they use that to explain why, well, okay, they like undermine the, 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 your sense of validity of your own cultural right. worldview and that hurts, that, that brings the death anxiety back. And so to get rid of it, you basically you got to kill that person or just like demean them that they're like you know they're idiots with their crazy culture their foreign culture like you demean them you find some way to like defend against it so that guy just going back right i think it is a threat like this idea that something that's such a a fundamental like guiding point in his life could mean something totally different to somebody else yeah and he probably just needs to do mushrooms (laughs) (laughs) yeah nice beautiful (laughs) cool um well that was a that was a cool way to end i have like a thousand more topics that we could talk about and like i'm having fun um but do you want to you want to try playing some music um yeah yeah i could also well can i go i i could go more i do have plans um at seven my time so yeah, we have. I mean, an hour and a half. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I have a I have a lesson in in an hour. Well, oh, okay. may, may, maybe we could play something and then see if that sparks anything, and then kind of like do a, a a fade out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds yeah. good. I think that works. Cool.
want to try something? Yeah. All right.
<laughs> cool. You want to switch to a different feel? Sure. I think that it, it, it came into something really nice. It felt connected at the end. Yeah.
Yeah, nice. that was cool. <laughs> yeah. Was fun, man. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, moments there that I, or like, I was surprised that we were able to lock in um, yep. rhythmically. Um, it'll <laughs> definitely not sound the same. <laughs> okay. But that's cool. Actually, what, like, when I've been doing banjo sometimes, just like a straight up claw hammer, jum chicka jum chicka jum, even though it, we feel locked in in the performance, and it is kind of locked in in its own way on the podcast. As long mm. as it's consistent, like, you kind of get used to that difference of rhythm. Okay, yeah. I'm excited to hear that, that second one, especially. I think that was, uh, that was cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> it's fun. So... Have you been playing, playing with other people or playing much lately other than, other than the, the album? And that, that's all you, right? It is all me, yeah. yeah. That, no, I haven't. Honestly, this is the first time I've played in months. Really? Um, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, my time, like this summer especially, um, yeah, and, and certainly uh, this winter, just went into mixing and then uh -huh. school stuff and so yeah i mean it was yeah this is it was really fun to, i haven't jammed it so long <laughs> did so. you mix it yourself i did yeah nice it sounds great thanks yeah that Mixing was is hard man oh dude, it's such a process <laughs> i went like i don't know if you can relate where you uh i learned just from like the internet you know uh -huh. and so many youtube videos and articles but you think that you make some breakthrough uh -huh. and like it's this one technique, you know, or just like some session, it sounds so great. Yep. And then the next day or the next week you go back and it's like, that sounds terrible. What, yep. what was I doing? Yep. Um, so many of those moments, but I think that I finally got to a point where I'm like, okay, I think that this is legit. Um, mm -hmm. But so much automation, so much damn automation. Well, <laughs> I, I got out of a lot of that process in my last uh album because the idea of it was hiding and like mm. kind of like what we've been talking about a little bit but like being very sort of closed off to talking to other people about ideas and all of the different ways that hiding is like manifest in society today but then also in the music right like if you put enough reverb and distortion on you can hide a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah like, you can think you're awesome, and then you go to the acoustic guitar, and, like, you're, wow, I'm not very good. But So the <laughs> the entire album, there's no dr dry signal. It's all running through, um, it's all 100% wet signal through delays and reverbs. Nice. And so it's just this, like, wash of sound for the whole thing. Mm. And then the lyrics are just these little questions, like, what if you're wrong, and stuff like that. But it's just th these ideas of, like, Everything we hide, we hide our flaws, we hide our feelings, we hide our questions, we hide everything. Yeah, yeah I like that a lot. But then, but then you don't have to mix it. Was really, <laughs> that's really the, the point. The combination. Yeah, um, I'm. I definitely want to take that approach. Uh, the next thing that I do. You want? You want to take the? Uh, just run it all through reverb and delay. Yeah, I'm just steal your idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, like um, having just like a a very specific concept and something that um doesn't require so much um like what's the word like diving into the minutiae 
right. so much editing and um yeah um good it sounds great um hiding <laughs> sounds great i i was really enjoying it um, that so. that 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 one that i posted um that that drum part is like a seven plus seven plus seven plus six idea that i got from do you know the band carnivool no they're uh they're an australian like prog metal band that i i heard about like a year ago and i've become like super into their music they're, they're another band that's like really excited me and they just have these crazy structures so that that was one of them it's this mm. really cool it's what 27 beats long seven plus seven plus seven plus six and then mm. the kick never hits on the downbeat oh nice so it's all anticipated kind of thing mm. yeah yeah i there was i knew that there was something um like vaguely polyrhythmic or like um cycling going about on about the drums uh-huh. and it was i just i um i had the feeling that it's that feeling where you know that there's some pattern that's there and you can latch onto it, but you don't quite know what it is. And yep. it's like a very pleasing feeling. Yeah. Um, well, what I really like about that particular beat is it, 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 it could almost just be like some four, four thing. Like you have no idea unless you're, unless you're really listening, you can just let it go and it feels relatively normal. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Cause I've noticed, um, there, there is a lot more rhythmic experimentation in like popular music, yes. I think. Um, mm-hmm. And it's people doing stuff like that, I think, mm-hmm. that you kind of provide a bridge where... Because I think the average person isn't like a, a drummer or like a prog head right. that's going to like <laughs> count out and be like, oh, this yeah. is 7-16 and then 5-4. Like, they just... Yeah. If it has that feeling that um, even if it's slightly off... Like in Neo Soul, I love right. rhythms in Neo Soul. I have no idea how to do it well. Oh, but, like uh, the 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 quintuplet swing and stuff. Yeah, the, yeah, the, and like the, the Dilla like beats. feel. Yeah. Yep. Um, Jacob Collier, the stuff that he does yep. with with uh, like where it's not even, or at least as far as I can tell, it's not mathematical. It's like you just you have some pattern, but then you just slightly, just ever so slightly, like in a bodily way, delay it or go yep. early. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's not the same every time. That kind of stuff. I used to think it sounded really bad, honestly. Um, and like when rappers started getting into that too, yeah, um, getting off like offbeat or whatever, that that's part of the flow is this like almost like going outside, but not mm-hmm. the scale in terms of the rhythm. But I'm starting to get into it now, and uh, it's really, anyways, yeah, it's it sounds great, and it's kind of like in line with what you're doing. But... Yeah, I mean, especially the 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 push and pull with it. I feel like it's embracing the humanness of performance. <laughs> Like we're not computers. We're not actually very good at quantizing. Yeah. We can try. We can try really, really hard. But Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Everybody should go out and listen to your new album right now. I think it's a it's available pretty much everywhere streaming, right? Yep. All right. So, so I was listening to it on Amazon Music. It's on Spotify, Apple, all that. Archetype Asylum. And then the name of your project is not is not your name. It's Exodus to Infinity, right? Yep. yep okay. That's right. Cool. So check out social media. Check check all the stuff out. Thanks so much, Danny. Thanks for talking to me today. Hey, Anthony. Yeah, this was this is awesome. Thanks for listening or watching. Please remember to check out Exodus to Infinity and the new album Archetype Asylum.
And please remember to like, leave a comment, and subscribe to my channels. And if you would like to consider supporting my content generally, please visit my Patreon page. Thanks. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.